We're on. All right. <laughs> Just like you mean it. <coughs> Hi, everybody. Oki Tansei Tansei. I'm with Stitch, Dennis Tadada. Nice to uh, be here on the mic. Um, just going to introduce myself quick here. Uh, my, uh, the name that I gave myself is Sarah. Uh, my sacred name is Apiskanaki, which means far shooter or shoots far in uh, Blackfoot. And uh, my uh, hip-hop name, well, I have several, uh, but I go by Good Medicine, and that's really because I believe all of us, whether it's our art or anything that we do, uh, have medicine inside of us. And really, I think maybe even who we are uh, is our medicine. And so uh, that's why I'm here today. Uh, I'm sitting with my colleague, uh, friend, uh, mentor. Oh, you're being generous. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to introduce yourself? You bet. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Stephen Wright. I... Uh, I'm a workplace inclusion strategist with Gateway Association. Um, my family actually settled in Ontario from Scotland years and years ago. My grandfather came across the ocean and I traveled out west way back in the early 70s and here I've been. I've been here ever since with a few little side trips here and there. But It makes sense and you said you traveled here in the 70s but you know sometimes you give me 60s vibe if you get what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm really glad that uh, we're here today and, uh, you know, we're still, you know, uh, working on the name of the, the podcast. Uh, so, like, by the time this gets out to you, you'll actually know the name. But right now in this moment, we're not totally 100% on the name. Um, but, uh, you know, what we're really interested in talking about is diverse perspectives of whiteness. And, uh, you know, it's just a really important thing. Uh, that Steve and, and I both feel that we need to talk about, especially right now when it's pretty hip uh, to talk about diversity. A lot of these white settler organizations are really into that. Uh, do you have anything you would... Uh, Definitely, <laughs> actually. It's, uh, I'm sure everyone will see it's almost on every company's website, the word diversity, and everyone has a policy on how to become a lot more diverse. A lot of the literature out there uh, really emphasizes the fact that business have to become more diverse in order for them to succeed and to sustain how themselves. Does, sorry to cut you off. How does that feel when you hear diversity, when you hear it? I actually try not to use the word diversity in my conversations because I think it's become just one of those words that are really trendy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I worry sometimes that it just it uh, loses its its emphasis and loses its true meaning. Yeah, I really feel you on that. You know, um, we've had a lot of conversations leading up to this podcast happening. Uh, for those who don't know, because uh, most of you won't, uh, you know, this has been maybe well just about a year in the making. Maybe maybe you know eight months or nine months in the making for us to get here, and. Um, yeah, I mean, we've had all sorts of conversations. You know, one of the things that I think was, was really important that we talk about is how white society or the, the hegemony that we live in is really good at accessorizing, uh, you know, different progressive movements to kind of, uh, rather than disrupt the status quo, to actually uphold the status quo uh, the way things are. Uh, oh, I totally agree with you, sir, and I actually think sometimes that it's just a band-aid solution to the real underlying issue. And so for me, uh, 
the word diversity brings up a lot of images of, of our society um, saying that we're diverse when really we're not actually it's just a, it's a become a real uh, buzzword so for me celebrating and valuing differences I think is way more inclusive and why do, why do you say that because we've, we've had a lot of talks about this even about the title uh, of our podcast here you know uh, could you elaborate a little bit why you use the word difference instead of diversity? Uh, really, it? from my perspective, I think in all the years that I've been involved in the area of inclusive employment, um, when, I, when I go out talking to employers and I'm chatting with them about individuals, I actually don't use the word diverse. I talk about the differences that they can bring to the workforce. Mm -hmm. And again, I think really for businesses to really succeed, they have to understand that they need to value differing perspectives. Yeah. Uh, that their employees coming in need to really be heard and to be listened to. Yeah. Uh, I'm really glad you said that. And, uh, you know, I think this is going to be an interesting journey. Uh, one of the reasons that, uh, you know, I wanted to uh, talk about whiteness, uh, you know, about, uh, I mean, many reasons. Um, I think a good story to start with uh, in that discussion is how Columbus uh, came to this land and how all these ways around us that are normalized, you know, white Western colonial ways of thinking uh, have become so normalized is because this guy named Columbus, who I'm pretty sure was Italian, people can fact check me on this, uh, but you know, he's from Europe, uh, his own nation was not interested in funding his uh, his trip to uh, India, which what he was trying to do is establish a new trading route to India, uh, which is, uh, well, was uh, one of British's colonies. Um, there was a lot of uh, history to go through there. But when he got to North America, what we call it now in English, um, you know, I really do feel like he didn't know how to even tell the difference between, you know, South Asian Indians and indigenous people here. And so to him, we were all Indians. We're all just these brown people, you know, that he didn't really see any difference in. You know, we're all sort of savage to him or less than to him. And, uh, you know, so I think that perspective is important because... You know, when we talk about whiteness, you know, one of the stark contrasts uh, to whiteness is blackness. And uh, that's really a lot of the conversations around anti-racism that happen. And I would like to add to that conversation just around indigenous experiences of racism and how, uh, you know, even though, uh, yes, I do think conceptually, you know, white and black, you know, seem to be a certain racial um, opposite of each other, uh, at least in, in racist thought. Uh, when Columbus came over here, he brought that thinking over. And, uh, you know, there's a number of, of hip hop songs that I really like um, that talk about how, uh, you know, all different kinds of people of color, you know, are black. And they're not saying those people are black in the sense that they come from Africa, but they're saying that from a white perspective, all these people look the same, all these people are the same, which is not true. Um, but what it's really talking about is, is non-whiteness and really a, a sense of inferiority because you're not white. No, absolutely. I think actually uh, your point about Christopher Columbus coming over, his, his intent really was not to just explore lands. It was a way to make profit and to find riches. Um, so really, it's, uh, it's kind of unique in a way and funny. There's a bit of humor to that, the fact that I think he actually got lost yeah, he, for he did. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, you know, him coming to North America, 
I can't imagine what he was thinking. Think, well, how am I going to spin this so it looks like I've actually accomplished the goal that I set out to be? And so that mindset was started at the very beginning is that you're right. They, they looked at uh, any color you are except for white, you're inferior to the white culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that mindset's been set way back in 1492, I think, is when he came. Yeah, um, and often for Indigenous people, you know, we reference the year 1491, uh, you know, as some sort of uh, idea of pre-colonization, trying to remember what it was like before because we're in such a dense, uh, you know, society that excludes those things, and it's so normalized to just speak English, um, to, you know, white beauty standards, for instance, you know, all sorts of things um, that are associated with uh, Western uh, whiteness, you know, they all sort of put down non-white uh, perspectives. And, uh, you know, yeah, to him, you know, it, he really was lost. That's a really <laughs> funny thing to think about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th- also, you know, physically he was lost, but perhaps, uh, you know, uh, spiritually and mentally, you know, we might say that he was lost as well. Oh, absolutely. I, I can't imagine coming over here in a, in a ship spending mm-hmm. all that time in the ocean and then coming. I'm sure they must have been shocked. And so their natural reaction th- to that is to take control of yeah. the situation. And I do want to point out, too, that really the intent of all these exploration activities, whether it was from the British or from the Spanish or the Portuguese, w- was really all about profit, mm. really. And so um, their intent at the very beginning actually wasn't really honorable. It was the ways to look to find to make money. Yes, and uh, to bolster their empire. Absolutely, right? Because it's pretty expensive running uh, the British Empire back in those days. No kidding, no kidding. Um, you know, that reminds me of um, perspective. Um, uh, Sean Wilson, who uh, wrote uh, a book called Research's Ceremony. He's uh, Nehio, and uh, he talked about how, he talked about this story about cannibals, And a quick note on cannibalism, you know, is often associated with indigenous people or indigenous history. And we do have stories about cannibalism, but, you know, uh, often, you know, misunderstood that when settlers got here uh, to Turtle Island or to North America, uh, they weren't in good shape. You know what I mean? They didn't know how to live here. uh, And, um, you know, it wouldn't, uh, you know, the stories that I heard is that they were eating each other. There was that, you know, there are cases of those. Um, but in true settler, white settler fashion, um, you know, instead of taking responsibility for the things that, uh, you know, were their actions, they put it on somebody else and told a story that it was another group of people who were like that. And uh, so today, you know, um, cannibalism is associated with indigenous peoples i believe because of that uh that sort of uh, narrative being created and when you're the conqueror you know you get to tell the history you get to say how things were and you know that's part of why we're here today is to talk about that and to kind of break that down a little bit speaking of uh breaking things down a little bit uh maybe we can talk about land acknowledgements and and uh where we are uh right now so i just want to say big ups to all my treaty seven homies big ups to all the homies in Siksika, uh begunny and gaina that's the blackfoot confederacy uh as well as uh the homies there in uh, scopy begunny which is the uh, south pagan people just below the border that were cut off uh when that border came down uh, between the states and canada 
Also big ups to the Sutena people here right uh, close to Mokinstis, Calgary, uh, where we're in uh, right now recording. Uh, also big ups to all my Eiehe Nakoda brothers and sisters, um, Chiniki First Nation, Bears Paw First Nation, and Wesley First Nation. Big ups to y'all. Also uh, big ups to all my Métis, Machif homies uh, that uh, make this place their home. We just... Uh, Jesus actually had a dream about this last night, uh, <laughs> but uh, we were just uh, we just signed or uh, just agreed to vote on a constitution for Alberta, uh, the Métis Nation of Alberta, uh, which is providing citizenship, um, which is another sort of uh, act of independence and sovereignty uh, by uh, one of the nations that I belong to, the Métis Nation. So uh, big ups to y'all. Also big ups to all the people who uh, call Treaty 7 or Mokinstis Calgary their home. Um, doesn't matter where you're from. Lots of us uh, are not originally from here as Indigenous people and have settled in this place. Uh, so I just want to send some respect and big ups to y'all for uh, being here and uh, especially to those of you that are holding up the uh, treaty partnership to the best of your ability. Thanks. Yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts or feelings around... Uh, the treaty acknowledgement or the land acknowledgement that, uh, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about how uh, uh, white organizations can accessorize, you know, disruptive movements for to actually reinforce their position of power. Uh, and I feel like sometimes land acknowledgements can kind of become that. Do you have any thoughts or feelings around that? Well, that, it's good that you brought that up, actually, because uh, my association, Gateway Association, has been having lots of conversations about land acknowledgement and what to say about that. And I, uh, I worry sometimes um, that in, in my white culture uh, that we feel sometimes they're just acknowledging the land, that it doesn't belong to us. We feel that our job is done, and, and that's, that's that. And I... And I think we have to go deeper than that. So I know quite often for me, because I love being in the mountains and I love being in the water and that it's, it's sort of my go-to place to ground me and anchor me. And I always marvel at the beauty of nature. Uh, but lately I've been really thinking about the f simple fact is we actually took the land. Yeah. So I think we need to do more than just acknowledge the fact that the land belongs to the indigenous people here. We need to do something about that. Yeah, um, I think I, I want to just uh, comment on something you said that, um, you know, uh, like us as white people or how did you say it? Uh, like my, how did you say that? My, uh, you didn't say my race, but how did you say that? Uh, the white culture. The white culture. Um, is that a comfortable thing for you to say as, as a, a white person? Does that make you uncomfortable to say uh, my white culture? Oh, absolutely. It's a very uncomfortable thing right now, obviously, because it's my culture actually that, that uh, attempted to, to wipe out the indigenous population and to erase that or to actually change history and, and not be accurate in it. So it's with some shame that I use that, that I have to identify as I'm part of the white culture. That's part of my journey. Uh and um, I guess this is a great moment here because I know uh, part of why we're doing this is because, uh, you know, white progressives in particular can be quite challenging to deal with 
uh, one of the reasons being is they feel like they already have everything figured out, like what you just said. You know, once we acknowledge that uh, this land isn't ours, we just move on. <laughs> so uh, is there anything you want to, like, say to anybody in that position right now? Like, we're going to have lots of opportunities, and there's going to be more learnings for them, but just is there anything explicitly you'd like to uh, say uh, to your uh, white colleagues or white peers at this moment? Uh, I think as a characteristic, it's just my opinion, uh, based on me traveling and, and meeting people from different parts of the world, as, as they view Canadians as, as we're really nice people. <laughs> and, uh, and, we try, and we try really hard to be nice. Uh, but the reality is that, that we, there's a lot of shameful things we've done in the past, and we need to own up to that. So a friend of mine always says, we need to own our own actions. We need to own them, and I think that's that's part of our journey too. Is that I think sometimes uh, we want to admit that what we did was wrong, and then we want to move on and sort of forget about it. We're very good at erasing history, and I don't want this erased. <laughs> do you, yes, uh, that was kind of something I wanted to ask you. Is do you feel like that niceness or wanting to move onness, we might say, serves a purpose? Um. I think it serves a purpose to absolve us ourselves of our actions that we've done in the past. I think it's it's a, we're very we come across as very civilized, but I think it's just that we have a very thin veneer of civ civil civility to us, I guess. Um, and no, I think we just need to wallow in our shame a bit longer, mm -hmm. uh, because I mean it's been going on for hundreds of years. For real, well, uh, you know. <laughs> I think a lot of these feelings are, are real normal feelings, like feelings of shame. They're not, uh, you know, we're too, I think part of uh, the Christianization of these lands and the Christianization of the culture that we have now, uh, also shout out to my Christians who are, who are uh, dope <laughs> and who are awesome. Uh, but, uh, you know, that was a big part of why this land was colonized was because it was terra nullius land that did not belong to Christians, which meant it was unowned land sort of thing. And so with that came all sorts of values today that we're living out, one of which uh, you just mentioned uh, being civilized. That was part of the justification is that we as Indigenous people were not civilized. We did not have ways that were uh, to be civil, uh, so to speak. We were seen as savages. And um, yeah, I just think that, you know, uh, that narrative you know is pervasive that the society we live in today is is a civilized society but you know i'm pointing out a lot of situations where i don't feel that way no i i totally agree with you and i think even though it's our that's our goal is is to come across as being civilized really we have to own up to our actions what we've done and create a new a new society and mm. sort of, I know for me personally, I have to unlearn a lot of things that I've learned over the years. Mm -hmm. That's part of the journey, I think. Yeah. Well, we're pretty deeply conditioned human beings, aren't we? Absolutely. We've had hundreds of years of doing that. Um, so I think really for, uh, for me, um, the point of having these podcasts is really is my attempt to continue these conversations and... Uh, I think sometimes they're uncomfortable conversations, and I think we need to learn how to have these conversations, even though they might be fierce, 
uh, and they might bring about shame into what we've done, but I think it's a necessary piece. Mm-hmm. What I really want to do is encourage people to feel comfortable enough to encourage these conversations and to carry them out on their own. Right. So in a way, you know, we're kind of having conversations, hoping that it will spur other conversations. Oh, absolutely. And I think really, if we're going to celebrate difference in our society and recognize the value in it, then we have to be really good at listening to different perspectives. Mm-hmm. No, I feel that. I um, One of the things uh, that I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about is... Um, you know, we kind of mentioned how things can get hijacked, you know, movements can get hijacked uh, by uh, the dominant forces, you know, whether that's an organization, a government, um, you know, groups of people um, who are adhering to dominant, uh, the dominant culture's values. You know, I really do think we're going to shift things around. We need to talk about white people, whiteness, white ways of thinking, not because there's something inherently bad about being a white person. What we're talking about here is a sort of consciousness, a way of thinking of superiority that, like I brought up at the beginning with Columbus, you know, there was a certain perspective, um, uh, you know, that white was superior. And that's a fallacy. Even, even that, <laughs> you know, uh, one of my favorite uh, rappers, KRS-One, you know, uh, he took this piece of paper one time. He's like, this is white. This is the color white. He said, if a human being was this color, so they would be very sick. They'd probably be dying. You know what I mean? Then he held up this little brick and he said, you know, this is black. And he said, this is the color black. If somebody is this color, you know what I mean? They would be very sick. You know what I mean? Because we're brown. We're shades of brown. And even, um, Indians, the history of that word, why the colonizers called Indians Indians is because their skin actually had an indigo pigment. Uh, You know, that's where that comes from. And uh, so this whole idea of color and whiteness, all this comes from a perspective uh, starting at, you know, white people. And so what we're saying here is not that being white is a bad thing, but that our society has certain stories that condition us uh, to think that white is better. Doesn't matter even if you feel um, included in that group or not, you belong to that society and therefore are conditioned by those values and rules. Would you agree with that? No, absolutely. And I think that's really uh, that disconnect between the individual person and um, the culture they belong to. I think that's something that needs to be explored more. Uh, for a lot of uh, people who genuinely, I feel, are nice and they, and they feel like they're treating people equally, I think really uh, they need to sort of take a look at the culture that they're a member of. And the reality is that the white culture actually, the hegemonic forces that exist out there and still do, are actually driving um, the social constructs of our society. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, you, you were talking about... Um, um, when Canada and United States form their borders, that's an artificial border that doesn't actually really exist in nature. Um, that's just an example of how in our white culture we want to box things up mm. and to separate that. And that was really all for greed and all for profit. Yeah. You know, it makes me feel uh, comfortable to talk to you about race because you're willing to identify with a larger group uh, of people uh, that we would call the white race. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you is why do you feel white people don't think they have a race or why do you feel uh, white people don't want to identify with their race? 
I think for me, I can't answer for a lot of other people, but for me, I think the real pivot point, turning point for me was um, I was in Cranbrook. I was at uh, St. Eugene when the bodies of all those children were Mm. were found and identified and the horror of that was such such a, an emotional piece for me but really my anger my sorrow the angst that came across that is that, that I it was my white culture that actually created that now no matter how much I wanted to separate myself from mm. that culture I can't you just can't do that because uh, I benefited from that white culture mm. Um, and that's that's something I th- you know that I struggle with continuously, and I think a lot of other people probably do too. And hence, I think having conversations about that and our feelings and why we feel that un- level of uncomfort, um, I think we need to focus at looking at the what mm-hmm. rather than the why, and try to come up with justifications. Can you elaborate on that? Because I feel. Uh, you know, strongly connected to why, and not to put anything on a hierarchy sort of thing, but I often feel uh, that we need to, (laughs) you know, I do like that Simon Sinek guy, start with why, uh, I know not everybody digs him, but um, when you said that before, it was kind of like, uh, you know, I was like, I didn't get what you were saying, so uh, could you elaborate a little bit why you feel the what is important, because it uh, well, I know for me in my history of, of supporting individuals with disabilities, uh, to be full members of their communities, I think really um, the why kind of justifies the means of how we sort of arrived here. And uh, really the reality is, is that we came to, to North America, Turtle Island, and we stole land. Mm. Um, everything that we've done in our relationship with indigenous people has not been honorable. And so we, that's the what. The what is, the reality is, is that we've broken every single treaty that we created for the benefit of profit. Mm. That's the what. Why we could come up with justifications uh, that you know, we felt that the uh, indigenous population was you know, savage, that they need to be supported uh, they needed our guidance and our wisdom when the reality is I think it was the other way around and that's the what mm-hmm. uh, why coming up with reasons why uh, is really to me is just a futile attempt to justify what what happened yeah no matter which way you look at it you cannot ever ever justify murdering innocent children there's no way to do it no and that's part of the shame that I think as Canadians that we need to sort of focus on yeah yeah I think um, you know it's really important uh, like I was I started saying earlier that all these emotions have a place uh, and an important uh, significance and um, you know we feel shame when we've done something wrong that needs to be corrected there's a reason we feel emotions it's not for no reason and um, and when we feel shame you know, it promotes, uh, it motivates us to correct, you know, what we're doing because we knew something was wrong. And when we avoid feeling that shame, you know, we're actually avoiding doing the right thing in a way. And that doesn't mean that shame is always rightfully placed. We can still believe stories that, um, you know, create shame in us that are not justified. Um, I don't know if you're catching my drift here because, uh, 
what I feel, for instance, is that I've internalized uh, stories that being native is bad, so much so that I literally could not see myself as a native person in the mirror for a long time in my life. I could see it, but I would like the I would have cognitive dissonance trying not to see myself that way. You know, I remember wearing a hat, uh, putting on a hat when I was younger, and I thought I looked more native. So I never wore hats ever because I thought, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, bad sort of thing. And I felt shame about that. That would be an example of what I'm saying is when shame is misplaced. But when you've done something wrong, there's nothing wrong with being native. But when I've uh, done something wrong, I've hurt somebody or I've said something that, you know, was out of place. I really kind of showed my my humanness, you know, that shame has a place because it, you know, Maybe it, it allows me to say sorry to that person, to apologize, you know, or to take behavior to make that situation right, whatever it is. And I think that's an important uh, thing, uh, I think, to bring up for today. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think um, as a white person and as a member of the white culture, we need to really feel that shame. It needs to really hit home. Uh, and there's no other way to describe it except shame. And so, um, again, in our society, we're very good at coming up with justifications for things, for the wrongs we've done in the past, mm-hmm. whether it's to save, you know, the souls of those poor indigenous people that needed to be <laughs> saved. Really, we have to take a look at the what and expose the, the truth. And I think p- part of the truth is really looking at what happened. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's it's very similar i sometimes think of my son whenever he's late for school inevitably he's late two or three times a week that's the what <laughs> you'd be surprised at the the reasons he comes up with and i and i look at him and it's and i'm and i'm not you know uh, dissing the importance of what we're talking about but i just kind of shake my head and say it really doesn't matter what your reason is it matters what your actions are and that also comes through the what, exposing the what, and, um, you know, it's, it's, we're coming into, uh, 2023, and yet there's still people that live in, in Canada, for real, that do without drinking water, that's the what, we need to look at that, I don't care how terrible it is, how, how difficult, how challenging the task is, we have to look at the what. This is a country that has the most fresh water, I think, in almost the whole world. Yes, I'm pretty sure we have the largest reserve, so to speak, uh, of fresh water. And even that might even be a colonized way of thinking about uh, that resource. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a a good example of where we have to unlearn what we've been taught. Yeah. One one other thing I want to add that I hope in our journey of uncovering things... um, because I do agree with you, I think that shame needs to be felt. Uh, but we can't stay, we can't just, you know, uh, to wallow in our shame. You know, I don't think that actually helps anybody. I think it really, you know, we have to process that shame. We have to get through that shame to, like you're saying, an outcome, a what that is meaningful um, for humanity um, so that we can be good human beings together. Absolutely. I think it, uh, while it's important to actually feel that shame and acknowledge it, I think it's just as important to figure out ways to, to unlearn what we've done and come up with different ways of and learning and living. And I think to do that, you have to value and recognize that 
in our world today, difference is going to become one of the most important factors for in order for us to be sustainable. Well said. I was going to add some more things, but I think that's the best way to, to wrap up our first episode here. So uh, thanks for tuning in here. Uh, I'm really glad that y'all listened today. We're um, going to be coming out with these maybe once a month is kind of our aim. Uh, we're looking at different ways to record. We're looking at maybe different ways to have guests. So if you have somebody who you think would be uh, a good uh, a good guest on here or you want to reach out to us, we will have those means available at some point. Uh, but, uh, you know, shout out to Adrienne Marie Brown, uh, who um, wrote the book uh, Emergent Process. And uh, it was like a much better way of describing uh, building the plane while you're flying it sort of thing to validate that sometimes you don't have to have everything in place before you do something. In fact, that might even be another colonized way of thinking that um, sometimes, you know, the process of doing actually is the right process of, of making and creating and, and even planning. And so... Yeah, and I just want to add to that, that was very eloquent. I think sometimes we need to focus more on the process and worry less about the outcome. Mm -hmm. so yeah, we're in, we're in that right. process right now. Well, You're right. I'm glad uh, that we get to have these conversations together, Stephen, and uh, have a really great day, listeners, and uh, stay tuned for next month's episode. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Peace.